Um, just before we get uh, going here, I wanted to mention uh, last week, I uh, mentioned about Jeff's, uh, Jeff's surgery. He had a, a liver transplant. Uh, he got home on last Thursday, so he's only in the hospital for one week, which is pretty amazing. Yep. So all, uh, he, is, he is doing well, and Amy is doing well. Amy was the live donor, so they took part of her liver. They can do that now, which is pretty incredible, and uh, put it into him. And so, uh, anyway, pray for them. They've still got a little more healing to do, and hopefully they'll be in church in the next couple of weeks and uh, have, let them share their story. It's a lot of amazing things that took place and certainly a great testimony of, of, of Christ and Christ's love and her, Amy's spirit of just being willing to be so generous uh, with that. I can't even borrow five bucks from most of you. And she gave him part of his liver, all right? So... Anyway, just just kidding. I don't need five bucks. A hundred bucks. I'm I'm game for that, but not five bucks. So, hey, uh, we're we're gonna start a new series called "Be the Message," and so it's been something we've been talking about the last several weeks. And today is kind of an intro as we encourage folks to get involved in in the community groups. Talk a little bit about uh, the importance of the community and the community groups and being involved. And then next week, we'll start on the lesson of being the message. And just to kind of give you uh, an idea in your mind, um, we are a billboard for Jesus Christ. And our billboard message is unique and different. And our message comes from primarily hurts, failures, and pains in our life. And God wants to create a billboard with your message that's unique to the world, and he is going to use those areas of your life. And so oftentimes we run from pain, but in reality, God wants to use it to show what his grace and mercy can do through our lives and through the hardships in our life. So I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a great series. I think for many of us, it's going to really raise the bar in our walk as we are challenged to step outside of the walls and live our life for Jesus Christ. And so be in prayer for that. I think some great stuff is going to take place. Inside your program is an outline. And today, let's go ahead and take a look at the lesson. Be the message, connecting. And at the very top of your outline is a definition, and I'm going to kind of walk us through the process of of the the church, the New Testament church, and begin to paint a picture in your mind of the importance of community and the importance of community groups. So in the Greek, in the New Testament, whenever you come across the word church, it's not really the word church, it's the word ecclesia, and it actually means not building or not location. It actually means gathering or assembly. All right. So in our minds, we think of, hey, I'm going to church. I get in the car, I drive down the road, I go into the church, and I go, I'm in church, right? Well... In the New, New Testament mindset, that wasn't the case. It was about being a part of a gathering or assembly of, of folks who were believers. And as they began to start out the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Remember, Peter preached. They got put in prison. They were told to be quiet. They go back. They pray for boldness. Some of you are still wearing your little black band, Be Bold for Jesus, right? And, and so they preached. They were told to be quiet. They continued to preach. And in Acts chapter 2, this Holy Spirit fell on the church. The New Testament church was given birth and it began. So when you go back into history to look at the purest version of the New Testament church, it's Acts chapter 2. And what happens with 
humans, and we're all guilty of this, is as something starts out through time, a bunch of things are packed on top of it, right? So like, for instance, the Ten Commandments became 400 and some odd laws, right? You look at, you know, the federal government, the state government, any type of organization, it starts off simple, and then through the years, a lot of things are piled on top of them. And something's good, and something's not so good. And so I think it's always a good idea for the church, for us, the body of believers, to go back to what the original model was, the original plan was, look at the purest version of it, and then as I ask myself, ask, you know, Pastor Dan, ask God, God revealed to us areas in our church's life that is not what you desire for it to be, that you want us to raise the bar, you want us to be more biblical in nature. What is it? And for us, we do lots of things incredibly well. One of the areas of our weakness is community groups. As the church has grown, we, we've had, and, you know, and I'm taking full responsibility, we, we, we haven't been able to fold people into, place people into community groups. And so why do we do the church campaign? Well, primarily, it's to really encourage folks to get involved in community groups. Because it's not enough to just come and sit in rows like you do, and I appreciate that coming, but we also want to get out of rows and we want to get into circles or into small groups that where we can get to know each other and share life with. All right? And so it's something that we, we want to kind of raise the bar. We want to encourage. We want to become good at it. Hopefully by next year I won't say, hey, community groups is a weakness. It's a strength that we have. And so in order to make something strong, you've got to focus your attention and uh, focus uh, some energy and so forth on it, and that's what we're doing. So they were devoted. The believers in the New Testament church was devoted. That's a key word in Acts chapter 2. And, and devoted means, it means to be earnest toward, to persevere, to be consistently diligent, or to attend tirelessly all the exercises. So let's take a look at what they were devoted to. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following. And they devoted themselves. Okay, They persevered. They were consistent. They, they attended tirelessly. What? The apostles' teaching, that's the large group gathering like we're doing today, and to the fellowship. That word fellowship is the word koinonia. All right? And fellowship in church life, this is what we made it sound like, we're going to go have a fellowship in the fellowship hall. We're going to drink punch. We're going to eat cookies. Right, And if we're lucky, someone's going to bring some brownies and we're going to live large. right? And that's fellowship. Unfortunately, that's what we've added on to the real meaning. Fellowship, the koinonia is, it means partnership. It means sharing your life together. It's not about cookies and punch. That's a component of it, but that's not what it all is. It's about sharing your life. And so they were devoted, they persevered, they were consistent, they were diligent in the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the partnership, to the sharing of life. And then it goes on, and it says, to the breaking of bread. We did that last week as we took communion. And what the interesting thing is about communion is, is that communion is a reminder to all of us that all of us are sinners. Aim into that, right? That we all enter and come to the cross on level ground. There's none of us that are better than the others. 
And we come and we're reminded of the broken body. And remember, as we looked at that last week, if you missed it, you can grab a CD. It meant the whole life of Jesus, not just the cross. And the blood represented what it did for us as it set us free from sin and set us free from the bondage of it. And so as they would come, they would have the pastor, the apostles teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then what happened? Verse 43, and everyone was filled in awe. And that word awe means reverence for God. Okay, that's what it means. They, they were in awe of God's grace and God's mercy. And many, uh, uh, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, verse 44. And all the believers were... <laughs> the picnic is at one... I hope we all make it. What were they all? Ah, good. You guys learn. In church, you get to talk back a little bit. And they had everything in common. To what extent? Verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Verse 46. And every day that their schedule was clear, that they didn't have things to do, when their to-do list and the things, the activities weren't as important as meeting together, no, every day they continued meeting in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Stop. This is... This is so big. The culture looks at the church as a bunch of hypocrites, and we're going to get into that in a minute, a bunch of narrow-minded lunatics, right? So if you're new in church, welcome to a group of hypocrites and lunatics, right? But here's the interesting thing is, as in, in Acts chapter 2, was the church persecuted? Yeah. They, they just got out of prison for preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. They, and they were told, if you speak, you're done. They come out, the, the, the leadership comes out, they proclaim Christ in the boldness of Christ, and the authorities don't like what they're doing, but the favor of all people looked at, looked at the ecclesia, the body, the gathering, and they looked at how they treated each other, and they looked at the togetherness, the unity, the sharing of bread, the breaking of bread, the gathering together, the caring component, and the world looked in and said, I don't know that I think that that Jesus is the only way thing, and I'm not so sure that I buy into all their ideas of what Christianity or what the Bible teaches about Jesus being the way, but they have something that's interesting. They have something that's different than what the world has to offer. And as a result of it, the people had favor with the church, and the church had favor with the, with the people, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They had a oneness, and they had a practical oneness in their life. And there was a true bond of koinonia, of sharing life, and doing life together. 
And the world said, I don't know that this Jesus part I get, and I'm not even sure I buy into. But what they have and what they're doing for themselves as a group of people is incredibly interesting. And I am interested in what they believe and why they believe and all that kind of stuff. And as a result, the New Testament church took off. And I would say this, that in our culture, there is a lot of things that the church is called and most of them are not good. And I wonder, and this is just a side thought, I wonder if the church, the ecclesia of the body, not the building, the body of Christ, if we practice spiritual unity and oneness and we truly loved and cared for each other and we followed Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following, I wonder if the world would think different of us. See, we are the most connected culture in history. You have smartphones. You get text messaging. Emails. Right? You used to have to be. You had to go back to the office to get your emails or get your phone. Now it's forwarded to you. And be honest. I mean, just go, go to a restaurant. And this is, a, this is kind of sad. Young, young families, listen up. You go to a restaurant. Mom and dad and the kids are sitting around. And every couple minutes they're, they're looking at their... You know, like they're waiting to win the lottery or something, you know? It's like, excuse me, can you put that away? We're the most connected society, and yet we are the most disconnected society when it comes to relationships, right? With the advent of Facebook and all the other social medias, you may have 10,000 friends, but none of them know what you're going through. And posting what you ate last night is not helping them out. Right? Come on, be honest. Now some of you are like, I'm never going to post that. I'm your friend and I'm going to check it. Now I don't recommend, <laughs> this is the other thing that happened way, way back when Facebook got started. It's like, oh, do you know so-and-so is having marital problems? No, I didn't hear that. Why? Well, it's on Facebook. It's like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> FYI, okay? Let me just give you a little insight. If you're having marital problems, don't put it on Facebook. All right, my wife is so, (laughs) it's crazy. That was all free of charge. Here we go. So what are we to do? First Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 11, and we're going to bounce through scripture. Here's what we do as groups. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And so encourage means to call near. It means to invite. It means to invoke. To build up means to be a house builder. It means to construct. It means to confirm. Okay? So as believers, as we looked at the New Testament church, they were together. They had everything in common. There was a sense of koinonia that was taking place. Paul later tells the church, he says, listen, you are to come alongside of. You are to invite. You are to invoke in the life of people. And you are to build them up. Not tear them down, but you are to build them up in your life. Now, folks, you can't build up people unless you're near them in life. You cannot do it from afar. And you certainly can't do it if you don't know them. But you've got to come alongside of them. And so he says, encourage each other. Build each other up. Lift them up. Build and construct in their life. So what do we do when we connect as a community group? There are four things that we do, so let's look at it. Number one in your outline is that we are to affirm 
each other's worth. We are to affirm each other's worth. We all enjoy affirmation, right? We all enjoy to, to have a sense of loyalty to folks who are close to us. Would you agree with that? And people long for that affirmation and to be affirmed. You ever watch a reality show? People will do incredible things to be loved, right? Sick things, things you kind of go, you did what? That isn't very smart, but we all desire to do it. And as a church, as a body of believers in a community setting, in a small group setting, we're to come along and we're to affirm each other. So how do we do that? Three ways. Number letter A in your outline is with acceptance, with acceptance. You know, Pastor Eric and I talk sometimes about community groups. The, the one thing about community groups is it can be incredibly great, but doing life together is messy. Would you agree with that? There are things that people are doing that may drive you crazy. There may be things that you're doing that drive them crazy. And that's just the way that it happens in life. But if you're not willing to get kind of shoulder to shoulder and come alongside of people and, and accept them for who they are, we're never going to get a chance to build people up. You cannot build people up by tearing them down, right? It's just not the way that it's going to work. And so look with us, look with me in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Here's what it says. Accept one another. How? Just as Christ accepted you. Now, I'm not sure how many of you went to the cross perfect. Anybody? If you've been in this church long enough, you know, we don't accept perfect people. Just forgiven people. Right? No perfection. Right? We're all fellow strugglers. And we're all struggling in different areas, in some cases in the same areas of life. Right? And so when it comes to community groups, you need to make sure that you accept them for who they are. They may be doing things that you don't approve of, but you're not going to encourage them and build them up and help them to see perhaps a different way if you're just going to go and attack them. And so we need to make sure that we accept them where they're at just as Christ accepted you. Letter, letter B is with attention. You cannot show love for people if you're not willing to give them attention in their life. Right? People don't need things Diamonds, cars, boats, helicopters, they want undivided attention of the folks who love them. And so again, this is a separate message, but let me, let me give it to you, okay? And this is, happens often in postmarital counseling for me, is I'll hear a guy say, man, I don't understand my wife. I mean, I work hard, I provide for her good, she's got a house, she's got a car, the kids got this, they got a boat, they got a motorcycle, they got a helicopter, they got a swimming pool, and it just isn't working, and it's like, Hey, listen, they don't want that. They want you. No, no, I mean, Pastor Dan, you don't understand. I mean, I got the latest model, and it's got the decorative thing on the hood, and I mean, it's cool, and it's this and that, and they got a rock formation and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, that's good. They don't want that. They want you. They want your undivided attention. They don't want you looking at your phone. They don't want you texting your, your boss or your coworkers. They want you. Now, how many of you think I'm wrong? If we just did that, if we just did that, folks, listen, you, you would, and this is, a, this is just a so, total separate thing, just on my heart, your marriage would just be elevated to a point that you wouldn't recognize it just by showing attention to, to them. 
And so it is in the body of Christ. If we care for people, how do we do that? We show them attention. We spend our time with them. And we let them know that we care. Letter C is by appreciation. How many of you enjoyed the last couple weeks in the stock market? It's depressing, isn't it? (laughs) Some of you are like, what happened? We lost a lot of money. That's what happened. <laughs> my, our, my retirement went out the window nearly, right? None of us like that. We don't like when our house devalues. We like everything to be appreciated. We like everything to be raised, right? And so we want to do that when it comes to sharing life with people. And you can see, I mean, imagine, folks, imagine how the culture would change in a church life if the community groups gathered, if we just did that one thing. How the world would look at the church perhaps differently than the way that they currently do. Number two, the second thing is, is we pray for others' growth. And again, one of the areas we're great at praying for people who are sick. We're great at praying for people who have marital problems or have financial problems. But do we pray for their spiritual growth? And we'll get to this at the end. But, uh, but I suggest that most of the time we don't. We pray for their health, their healing, and all those kinds of things. And that's all important, but it isn't the only thing. And yet, all through Scripture in the New Testament, you find that Paul would pray for the New Testament church, would pray for different groups of believers, not for their physical needs, but for their spiritual needs. And so let me give you a couple examples of that. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, with power. Now, just pause. Do you know anybody in your life that needs God's power? Right? Not healing. Maybe they do. Right? But need God, needs God's power. Through His Spirit in, uh, in your inner being, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints And here's what Paul wants them to get a hold of as it comes to power, that they would grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep uh, is the love of Christ. Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of, what's the word? All the fullness of God. So do you know people who need God's love and God's power? Do we pray for them about that? Do we intercede on their behalf? We intercede when folks are ill, and I, you know, again, I appreciate that, but do we intercede on people's behalf spiritually? And let me just kind of say this. 99.9% of all of our struggles are spiritual in nature. Okay? If you fix the spiritual elements in your life, the majority of the time you will solve the issue that you're wrestling through. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. And may the God of peace through, uh, through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, verse 21, equip you with everything for doing, uh, uh, everything for, uh, take two, verse 21, equip you with every. Uh, everything good for doing his will. You know, anybody that needs to do good things, do you pray on their behalf that they would understand that and they would get a hold of it? 
Romans chapter 15, a very powerful verse. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Do you know anybody who needs joy and peace in their life? Well, here is how you get it. As you trust in Him. Joy and peace does not come from circumstances. We pray that they would be relieved from their circumstances that they're going through. So we think if they get healed, if they get the marriage fixed, if they get whatever's fixed, that they will experience peace and joy. It's not the case. It will only be for a short period. And then there's going to be something else. But as they trust in Christ, our joy and our peace comes from the foundation of Christ in our life. And again, that is spiritual in nature. right? And so all through Scripture in the New Testament, we find where we pray, where Paul prays for the New Testament church for their spiritual development, for their spiritual growth in their life. So community groups need to make sure that we're focusing on that. <clears throat> Number three, and here's one that everyone's going to say, oh, no, not this one. Admit your own mistakes. Okay? Admit your own mistakes. I can't wait to go to group. <laughs> now, here, let me just kind of share with you. Look at the person to your right and to your left. Got that? Now, this, this is a little FYI here. They already know you're not perfect. Now, would you agree with that? You don't even have to know the person. Their spouse leaned over and said, he's not perfect. <laughs> right? So what we need to do is we need to be real. Right? We, we need to, if we are struggling with a sin, if we are struggling with doubt, if we're struggling with loneliness, with depression, with discouragement, if we are struggling with things in our life, why shouldn't we be able to? Not everyone, you don't have to hang up a banner saying, I'm struggling with, you know, whatever it is. But, but there's safe people that you will begin to recognize and you'll begin to know and you'll feel comfortable with for you to be able to share your struggles with them. What, what's wrong with that? See, the reality is, we think that if I share my struggles, no one will want to hang out with me. Well, the reality is, everybody already knows that you have struggles because they got struggles. And who wants to, if you were my parent and I brought, brought in my new friend and I said, hey, meet my new friend, whatever his name is, and let me just tell you a little bit about him, mom and dad. He's a liar. Okay? He's dishonest as the day is long. right? Hold your wallet because he'll steal from you. I wouldn't let any of the kids hang out with him. But by the way, he's my new best friend. See, the reality is we're not looking for people who are liars for our friends. We're looking for people who are authentic. Right? And you will have more inroads into people's lives by sharing your mistakes and your struggles than you will your perfections. 
And that is a big part of Be the Message. And this is just Pastor Dan's opinion. The reason why the world calls us hypocrites is because we prayed around as if somehow we reached you know, perfection. We've only reached perfection because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's it. We are not perfect people. We are forgiven people. That's it. And we struggle, and we have demons. And I don't mean literally demons. But we have areas of our life where we wrestle with, where at times we'll have victory and at times we'll have defeat. And so does the world. And we need to be honest about that. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, each of you must put off, put off falsehoods. In other words, quit walking around and acting as if life is completely perfect and that you're wonderful. And speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all, uh, one member, uh, we are all members of one body. Right? We've got to be authentic. We've got to be honest about our struggles in life and we need to be real about it and not come across as some you know, perfect that, uh, a person that has reached perfection if we're going to make inroads. And in a community group, what it allows you to do is it allows you to str- share your struggles. Now, you may not share it with the whole group. You may find people that you feel safe with, but you'll have times where you'll be able to do it. Now, look at the benefit of doing this. <clears throat> there are two benefits that we receive when we own, up our, uh, own our mistakes. Letter A in your outline is emotional healing from pain. And I'm going to explain this because this is a very powerful principle in Scripture. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to, what's the word? Each other. Not pastor, not priest. In this passage, not even Jesus. And we'll get to that. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be not forgiven. What's the word? That word is completeness or whole. Okay? Now, when you sin, you confess your sins to God. 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins. Right? If you've wronged someone, you may go to them, if God leads you to, to confess your sins to them for the wrongdoings that you've done to them. This is not forgiveness of sin this is emotional healing this is completely different we go to god for forgiveness of sin we go to others for emotional healing this is why and you may know maybe you yourself that you've confessed your sin god has forgiven you you're you've been assured of that looking into scripture you know that god has forgiven you and yet you walk around today with a heavy burden on your heart for what you've done in the past. That is emotional pain that you have in your life. And the reason why you have that is because you have not confessed your sin to others. And you will carry that burden around until you find that person that's safe that you're able to confess. Now, remember, this verse is not dealing with forgiveness. This verse is dealing with emotional healing or wholeness in your life. And in a community group, as you share life together and you gather together and they're safe and you feel confident in them, you're able to share, hey, this is what has happened in my past. You're able to share the struggles that you have 
And the scripture gives us the promise that we are healed, we are complete, we are made whole when we do that. It's a very powerful thing. It's scary. I'll give you that. But it can be very powerful when we begin to do that. And when you have a group of people who are authentic and real and not acting all professional and all religious, uh, it's easier to do. Letter B is that when we own up to our mistakes, God's power uh, comes in our life and it lifts us up in our life. And so look with me again in James chapter 4. He says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. It takes humility to be able to share your struggles with other people. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is grace? Grace is what you don't deserve. Grace is God's power in your life to lift you up to overcome the struggles that you have. Right? And so when we do that in a community setting, in a small group setting, there's power. There's emotional healing that takes place. There's power in our life that lifts us up to overcome it. Okay? Now just pause and just think about this. Now you can imagine why the world in Acts chapter 2 that did not like Jesus, that just crucified him, that the Roman government felt like the Christians were a threat to them, had just put Peter and the rest in prison and let them out if they were going to shut their mouth. And the world looked at them and they found favor. Imagine, imagine if not just our church, but every church in America had this kind of love and community for each other. Imagine how it would be different in our culture. Imagine, and some of you sit here, they've had bad experiences from other churches. And you're like, I don't even know if I like organized religion at all. Right? And you come a little bit leery. The good news is here, we don't have organized religion, we have disorganized religion. Led by a disorganized person. Where's my notes? (laughs) Number four. Encourage others to grow spiritually. So we pray for their growth, and now we come alongside of them and we begin to do this. Powerful verse, and we'll wrap this up, and we're going to go head over and have some some, uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. You guys hungry? Let's just leave now. 1 Timothy, again, Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy's his, his protege that he's in shaping and forming, and he, here's what he says. Have nothing to do with godless myths. And we're going to just go through this slowly. So Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, listen, the world has a value system. Now, we may not know what it is, but there's a value system that's invisible maybe out there, and it tells you how to make decisions. In fact, one of the value systems that the world has to do is it just says this. Hey, if you've got to make a decision, just follow your heart. Right? It's true. And yet the Bible says your heart is deceived. So if you invite that principle into your life, and you make decisions based on gut feelings, what your heart tells you to do, I can assure you, that the majority of your decisions are going to be wrong. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, first of all, let me just share this with you. Don't do that. Don't don't take the value system from the world and bring it in. It's not going to get you where you want to get in life. It's going to be a mess. And then he goes on and he says, and old wives' tales. Now what is that? In Paul's day, women were not encouraged to be educated. 
And so it was Paul's kind of a sarcastic remark, not against women, but against uneducated people. Okay? So he's saying this. He's saying, listen, the next time someone comes to you and says, the moon is made out of cheese, don't buy that. And don't invest money on a rocket ship that's going to go to the moon of cheese and bring back cheese, and you're going to be part of some pyramid scheme. Don't do that. It's nonsense. The moon isn't made out of cheese. It's made out of ice cream. It's simple to see. From here, you look at it, and we know exactly what it's made out of, right? So he says, listen, don't buy into that. Don't buy into the, the, uh, what, what basically an uneducated person would believe some story hook, line, and sinker. Rather, transition point, right? Rather, train yourself to be, what's the word? Godly. That means an attitude toward Christ out of reverence. Okay? That we are to train ourselves to have an attitude toward Christ out of reverence. That our attitude would be the same as Christ. That we would have a heart for Him. Okay? So don't follow godless myths, not even wise tales. Rather, train yourself uh, to be godly. Verse 8, for physical training is of some value. Stop. <clears throat> Paul writes into a culture. He could have written into America's culture in 2015. Where was the Olympics started from? Right here. Right? Paul says, run the race. If you run the race, you're going to run the race to win. No one runs a race to come in second place. So athletic training was a high value in Paul's culture. In fact, children who would be like preteens all the way up to like 18, 19 years old would be involved in some type of sports training. That was a high value in their culture. Now, some guys think that it was because it was such a harsh environment to live that they need to be physically strong and others believe it's just they had a high value on sports right and that that was exactly what what it was it was a very high value and so he says physical training has some value in other words <clears throat> hey if your heart is healthy that's great that's some value if you have diabetes and you're able to control it with exercise there's some value in that if, if, if you're if you're able to to look fit there's some value in that. But that's all it is, is some value. Right? Stop. Do we know sports players? Right? They can jump over the basket. They can hit a ball four miles. They can run like the wind. They can throw a football a bazillion miles. But their life is all jacked up. Right? Right? There's some value to it. I was big into baseball. It was a little short. Therefore, my career was short. But teaching a kid, and listen, you know, I coached. I love coaching. But teaching a kid to hit a curveball, there's some value in that. Keeping your, your, your shoulder in, your chin next to your shoulder. Don't get throwing your foot out, of, out, out. There's some value in that. But let me be honest with you. At 51, hitting a curveball when it comes to raising my kids, no value. When it comes to managing my money, no value. When it comes to relating to other people, 
no value. Zero. It's important. Keeping fit, it's important. But little value. For physical training has some value. But godliness, right? That is the attitude toward Christ. The attitude of like Christ. But godliness has value for all things. Hitting a curve has some value. Exercising has some value. Working out has some value. And I'm not saying don't. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You ought to take care of it. But it has some value. But Paul says to Timothy, godliness, godliness has value in all areas of your life. You want to know why? Because we are made in the image of God. Now, not everyone in this, all humanity is made in the image of God. But not everyone is a child of God. We become a child of God when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. But all humanity is made in the image of God and there is a spiritual component in our life. And as we cross the line and we invite Jesus into our life and we're adopted into the family of God, if you could imagine your life as a wheel on a bicycle and there's spokes going, right? However many spokes are on a bicycle wheel. Well, that hub where the spokes tie into is your spiritual life. And if your spiritual life, and if you can just grab a hold of this, if your spiritual life is in balance, 99.9% of the rest of your life will not be perfect, but will be in balance. Because everything in your life emanates from your spiritual life. If you sit here today and you have marital problems, You don't have marital problems. You have a spiritual problem. If your kids misbehave, you don't have a discipline problem. You have a heart problem with that particular child. Because everything emanates out of your spiritual life. Remember in in the Old Testament it says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Right? What's in your heart is going to emanate out of. Your spiritual life is going to emanate out of that. And so when our spiritual life is in true, when it is true and in balance, the rest of our life begins to follow suit in our life. And so Paul says to, the guy, to, the, to this place that put a high emphasis on, on sports and fitting for today, NFL opening day, right? It's going to be fun. There's some value in that. But there's all kinds of value in godliness. And he goes on and he says, for godliness has value for all things in every area of your life. And he goes on and he says, holding promise for both the present life, today, how you do your marriage, how you do your finances, how you raise your kid, your professional view, your, your ethics, your morals, all that stuff is going to be affected by your godliness in your life. And he says, so not only in the present life, but also in the life to come, your eternal life. So is your spiritual life important? 
Absolutely it is. It's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. And let me just kind of head you off at the pass, and this may be a Pastor Dan's hard sale, and I'm not normally like this, but you'll forgive me on the way out. I already know why many of you aren't going to go into a community group. You don't have time. Because you've got to go to the gym. You could laugh. And, and, and it's the truth. I don't have time to spend an hour and a half. I mean, I got to drag my kids to all these different things. I got to go. I got to do. I got to go. Let, let me just tell you. Remember what I shared with you about joy and peace comes from trusting in Jesus Christ? The foundation that you lay in your life and the foundation that you lay in your children's life or maybe some of your grandparents have have the time to spend involved in, in your grandkids' life, that foundation that you lay, lay in their life has the potential of affecting them for the rest of their life. Hitting a curveball didn't have any value in my life. Great memories, and if I was only six foot tall, I wonder what I could have done, but there's no value. There's no value. And you need to make sure in your life that it's a priority. That it's a priority. And so on the way out, maybe you need to give up one night at the gym and join a community group. And give it a shot. See what happens. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But try it. And see if your life grows spiritually that you'll experience the caring of the ecclesia, the body of Christ, and you'll have the ability to serve one another for the kingdom of God.